Support for the Game Podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies, and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the Game Podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 105 of the Game Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian, the forgotten ancient Gottlieb. And I like that nickname, man. I think we're going to stick with that one. Uh, it's appropriate. I mean, I called on this relic of Magic's past to just acknowledge the fact that sometimes you send me the link for us to start recording our show and I click it and then it asks me for my name. And I'm just like, I did not think about this whatsoever. <laughs> so that in turn brought me to Forgotten Ancient for this week, but it is reflective very much of my general mental state. I am both ancient and I've forgotten a lot of things in, in my time. You had one job, man. One job. I know. I know. I failed. Man, do you remember when that card was good? Or like when people kind thought of. it was good? It's so bad. Well that's what I was that's what I was thinking about when I when I was <laughs> when I was looking at the card. I'm like, I remember this card. I remember playing it, but I can't remember it being like impactful or actually doing anything in the format. So it must have been something that like early on in its printing people were excited about. We may as well read the card if we're gonna talk this much about it. No, it's, uh, no. It's it's so on. bad. It's so bad and I wanted to move on, but I just had that thought. And I was just like, what is wrong with us? You know? Well, you're you're stuck with it now. Three colors, one green. <sighs> When a player plays a spell, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. Beginning of your upkeep, you may move any number of plus one, plus one counters from Forgotten Ancient onto other creatures. O3, Elemental from Scourge. It was a different time. It was a simpler time. It was Cards the you like make the card. Our interest. It was, was it really? You, yeah. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, it was that into Crucible, I think. Oh. So you make the card is something where they basically crowdsourced a, a card production onto the Magic website at the time. Yeah, it was like I everyone guess. votes. Everyone votes for a card type. Everyone votes for a color. Everyone yeah. votes for a like random text box, and then they just make it. And this is what we got, huh? Yeah, we're all idiots. Anyway, didn't set the world on fire. No, two minutes in, and what a waste. All right, uh, we are <laughs> we are talking about standard, and I know for a lot of folks that's not super relevant. There aren't a lot of high level tournaments coming up. There is SCG Con in uh, a week and a couple of days when this gets released and i will certainly be there in attendance uh you're going to gp portland to play modern which Mm -hmm. is is reasonable but i mean there there's fnms there's magic online there's mtg arena Uh, i'm Mm -hmm. sure a lot of people have been playing that so the standard is is still relevant it's still fun and i i think people want to hear more about it especially as it just continues to evolve and evolve and evolve it doesn't seem like it has really slowed down this season, which is just crazy. Yeah, when it, we were kind of brainstorming this episode, I I was a little hesitant to go back to standard. And I think a lot of that is just because of the past year where mining standard over the entire length of its life cycle, generally by the end, it was pretty stale. But that's not the case here. 
things continue to evolve. It's still interesting. The gameplay is still fantastic. Due to Arena's new prevalence in my life, I have played just a ton of standard. Games continue to be great. So I, I'm actually happy to talk about it again, even if my first instinct was to be like, standard again. But it, it's not the same. Things have changed, and we're dealing with a fresh standard that continually surprises and impresses. So we could talk about Golgari and it and Jeskai and all of the decks that are perceived to be the best decks in the format. But I think it's time to just like talk about the brews and stuff. And this last actual deck dump is just a very, very good highlight of that, I think, where it's these things that maybe didn't quite make it, even though they're, you know, 5 0 uh competitive leagues. But also there are things that maybe could have made it had we had more time and with a new set somewhat on the horizon, I guess it'll be a little while, but you know, maybe these are things to uh, be looking out for when, whatever the name of the new set, Ravnica allegiances. Uh, I think it's just allegiance, but yes. Okay, sure. Even better. Less of a mouthful. Sure. So yeah, uh, new decklist dump. This was posted last Wednesday, I believe. There are 22 decks, and the first one is by Ryume, and this is my favorite deck, actually. So you are a believer in the 8-Drake approach to Drakes, and I I think I know exactly why you're a believer in this deck, and it probably has very little to do with those Drakes, and a lot more to do with the three drive-downs, two Niv-Mizzet. Is that what piques your interest here? That's certainly a help. I don't know. So... Yeah, this deck is eight drakes, two Niv-Mizzets for creatures. That is it. No Electromancer, no Arclight Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Three Dive Down, three Spell Pierce, uh, two Search for Iskana, 21 Land, some Cantrips, uh, some Removal Spells, and a random fun of Ral is it Viceroy. I'm definitely a big fan of Niv-Mizzet Dive Down. I do think that th- that combo is very, very good. And now that the Boros Aggro hype has died down and... You know, people aren't playing it in mass. Their their versions have slowed down a little bit to be a little bit better against Golgari, which means that they don't get blown out as hard by Fiery Cannonade, but it also means that their nut draws are just a little bit more manageable because they're not putting as much pressure on you. So I think trying to assemble the Niv-Mizzet combo is just a very, very good place to be, even in the wake of Adrian Sullivan's uh, win at GP Milwaukee when he played four treasure map, four Nimbusit, two dive down. Like people are playing a lot of crawl harpooners and play crafters and everything, but I think that is still very beatable and I really like this take. I like this take as well. I like that we're kind of amping up the power level of a lot of the cards in the deck. Like sure, the best, most optimal arc light Phoenix draws were almost unbeatable you know if you had multiples in play very early obviously you were not going to lose those games but in games where you didn't produce early arc lights things felt very different and most of your cards were a little underpowered you know electromancer certainly had its moments but it just generated a lot of churn basically whereas here we're getting access to some more haymakers in the term of things like search for Escanta, which had almost completely disappeared from the metagame but specifically niv-mizzet you talked at length about how you wanted to go all in on niv-mizzet leading into the pro tour and boros kind of crushed your hopes and dreams uh, but things feel a lot safer now we have gotten back to kind of this very static metagame while there's adaption between the top archetypes, you know what they are now, right? You're targeting Golgari, you're targeting Jeskai, you're targeting Drakes. You know that's what you're going to face a good percentage of your rounds. And that gives us a little clarity and a little bit more ability to plan around what our opponents are going to be doing. Yeah, I, one of the things that 
this deck kind of does that's in opposition of that is playing three spell pierces, which is not a card that I would necessarily look to if the metagame was going to have a lot of Golgari, but it's okay against them. Like you can snipe a Vivian Reed, but uh, that's about it. And then against the other two decks, it's also fine. But I, I honestly wonder if it's there mostly for treasure map, like for the Niv-Mizzet mirrors. Interesting. I mean, it's one of those cards that its impact is going to be tremendous when it gets to have an impact. And a lot of the times it will just rot, right? So like you're talking about killing a Vivian, a one mana for five mana exchange is going to be game breaking in a lot of instances and protect a very key card for you. But then there's times you'll just never find a target for spell pierce throughout the entirety of a game where the impact is that high. You can bear that cost a lot easier. So I kind of like it here. And it's just a card we haven't seen much in this format might be a little bit underplayed, honestly. And personally, my ideal Golgari list still contains some four mana Planeswalkers, still contains Karn. And let's not forget Fine Finality, also an important card that if you're playing it for the big side, which isn't going to be that effective against this deck, but I've certainly cast my share of Finalities against Drake decks. Sometimes you just need to manage the board and Spell Pierce is going to very effectively counter that plan. Sure. So Spell Pierce is... Basically acting like a pseudo-defensive tool against History of Benalia decks, but against Golgari specifically, it's kind of like more dive-downs. That's mm-hmm. that's sort of the theory, except obviously it doesn't work against like Chupacabra or anything like that, which is pretty much a feel-bad. But yeah, eight drakes, three dive-downs is not messing around, and I, I really like that plan. This is one of the decks that I'm looking at for the Invitational at SCG Con. I would not fault you for that at all, I think these decks continue to be a, a fine choice. What do you think about the sideboard contained here? We see a copy, a single copy of Sarkin, not going quite as hard on the Sarkin plans as some others have. Where are you at on Sarkin right now in, in these archetypes? I am exactly okay with it. <laughs> I mean, okay. it, it's a, it's sort of a non-committal answer, but I've tried decks with four, I've tried decks with two, I've tried decks that only sideboard them and everything, and it is... Very, very powerful when it works. It is kind of awkward that you can't really curve Sarkin into Niv against a lot of people because you want that dive down backup. So you have to actually keep Sarkin alive for multiple turns, Mm -hmm. which can be kind of tough. And I would almost rather see a treasure map in that spot because treasure map is just a little bit better on average, does basically the same thing, can't be attacked. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the argument I would make against that is I do think people are more cognizant of the card and doing things like more Reclamation Sage as opposed to Thrashing Brontodon is just a more efficient answer, a way to more proactively manage treasure maps. But in those decks where they're generating board presence early anyway, it's not like Sarkin is making a huge impact. Uh, you know, it'll get trampled under a J Light Ranger, Merfolk Branch Walker curve out anyway. So I, I don't know that that's really a huge strike against treasure map. It, it's just kind of two sides of the same coin. Well, I don't necessarily think I would want treasure map against Golgari. If if we're playing this main deck and like talking about how to sideboard, sure, you know? sure, yeah. So it it might just be a thing where if I want a card filtering tool that also ramps to Niv Mizzet in matchups where Niv Mizzet is basically unstoppable, why not just go with Treasure Map? Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. But I guess then in in those matchups, like Sarkin's not getting attacked anyway. But I don't know. There there are the decks like Sam Black's Red White deck that board into a Danto Vanguard and stuff. So I, I wouldn't necessarily count that out. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, a lot of entrancing melodies showing up, and this deck has one main tune in the sideboard, not necessarily a thing that is outstanding against everyone. I do think that it had its its real time to shine when Boros was very popular, and now that Boros has shrunk back a little bit, people are like, oh, these, these melodies are still not that bad. 
Yeah, a bit of a downgrade here in the absence of Electromancer. I do think that was an important card for really amping this card up to 11. But this card at like an 8 can still be super impactful. And it's another one of those cards that like very high variance, right? It can just absolutely steal a game for you. So I do like the one of, even my more traditional Drake decks are, are generally dealing with the split, one main, two in the sideboard. And yeah, the card has impressed. I kind of kick myself for not having found it earlier, those early weeks of, is it Phoenix? As we messed around with things like Wall of Mist and all kinds of other nonsense, why did I not just play Entrancing Melody to deal with small white creatures? I will never have the answer. Well, similarly to Forgotten Ancient, we are pretty dumb. Yeah, Next deck is by Koji1130. This is basically Ben White's big red deck with four copies of Treasure Map, 25 land, including one Arch of Araska, three Banefires main deck, and just all the big high-impact red creatures like Direfleet Daredevil, Goblin Chain Whirler, Legion Warboss, Rekindling Phoenix, and Siege Game Commander. So you're the red aficionado here. What do you think about this new look red? Hate it. Hate it. This is this is not the style of deck you generally like. I'll say that as a preface. So no. why don't you talk about why you hate it? So big red is is this thing that I tend to gravitate towards. Like even looking at this deck, like I've played decks like this. Like maybe not card for card. I don't think I ever went up to four dire fleets main deck. I was probably playing some amount of Steamkins or whatever. But I have had a lot of these cards in the same deck at some point, and I just remember it being like super slow and clunky. You're basically restricted to playing only one spell a turn. You have this high mana curve with Treasure Map, which is also a mana sink. Like Treasure Map does really like it if your curve is low. And it's just all sorts of awkward. And three copies of Banefire is a nod to just how bad your control matchup's going to be straight up. Well, I I think I know what we're doing here we're trying to like basically pre-board in some of red's harder matchups i don't know it's just like i feel like whenever you're going down this path for red what you're actually saying is red is not a good choice right now and i've kind of conned myself into trying to make it work in this new fashion correct and it usually does not do so i have not played games with this list there are individual cards i like but the package as you describe it is exactly right you're, you're not going to get the two spell on many turns you're going to be generally clunky and relying on your power level if your cards line up very well with what everyone else is doing that makes a lot of sense and i think some of these cards do but not to the extent that i'm comfortable playing a deck like this where again if you remember early in the format when we were talking about boros angels like draw my top card oh it's this big threat i will play it and that's the end of my decision making there's a lot of that in this deck as well Absolutely. And that's another thing is, why not have a splash in this deck? I mean, I I get that you have Goblin Chain Whirler, right? But Mm -hmm. is Chain Whirler actually better right now than trying to play History or Resplendent Angel or whatever other crappy Boros card you want to play, you know? Yeah, it's certainly worth noting, too, that the presence of Chain Whirler on its own isn't enough to dissuade the splash. You still have access to, like, Ixalan's Binding if that's a card you want to splash, or, you know, I don't really know what you'd use blue for here. Maybe if you decided you needed to negate for some purpose, but that seems less likely. But it does seem like if this deck wanted to uh, expand its answer suite somewhat, a splash makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Siege Game Commander has not really impressed me in this format. I do like the ability to side up to a bunch of mana sources and a bunch of Star of Extinctions. I do think mm-hmm. that plan is generally pretty good. But outside of this, it's it's going to be a pass for me, even though I know that Ben has been doing quite well with it. I think the... 
what's what's the card that Sam Black is crazy about? Pirates Pillage is that is that the card? Yeah, that's like the faith or not the faithless looting, the uh, tormenting voice plus some treasures attached to it. That is a much better way to do the Star of Extinction thing if that's what you want to do. I still don't really want to do that. Although once you get Mirari Conjecture in the mix, as Sam has been doing lately, <laughs> he's got my attention at least. I'll say that. Yeah, see, Sam's another example of just brewing very late in the game and yeah. has some successful decks. I mean, his like Boros, mid-range Boros control, whatever you want to call it deck, has been showing up on Magic Online. It's been 5-0-ing, and now he's on, on that Grixis train, and I feel like that's completely reasonable. I do too. I, I like the look of that deck quite a bit. Next deck is by Asterisk, who is also known as Shuhei Nakamura. And this is an Esper control deck that is bizarre. 26 land, two disinformation campaign, two Lyra, four Teferi, some golden demises, some thought erasures, just every every control card under the sun, basically, in just a mix of cards that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. This is the evolution of the Golgari trade binder archetype, except this is the Esper trade binder archetype. Just like all these Esper cards that I really love are coming into this deck and we'll take it from there. If you remember early on in this format, Esper was a thing. It was similarly greedy. The mana base was very, very uh, speculative. Ambitious. (laughs) Ambitious. Yeah, whatever word you want to use to describe it. This deck has 14 basics. Mm-hmm. And N12 uh, check lands. So not a great ratio overall, but it is what it is. Do you uh, want to talk some mana cost too? Four Sinister no. Sabotage, three Vraska's Contempt, two Lyra Dawnbringer. No, we don't we don't talk about that. That's Golden fine. Demise. Like we are asking for all of the pips. We would like all of the colors. And uh, uh, granted is, you're it's really easy to do with evolving wilds, right? I mean, your white requirements do come later. That is that is what's going on here. You don't need white until you get to four for Ixalan's binding. I, I get the theory behind that. Basically, you secure your blue and black sources early on, and you're comfortable getting a white source here or there. And that sounds good. In practice, it doesn't often work that way. No, I mean, good luck casting Thought Erasure, right? Seems challenging. Two disinformation campaigns with... Seven cards that surveil this is pretty weird, but hey. Yeah, it's it's a strange one for sure. And, you know, there's there's blood operatives in the sideboard too. They're taking advantage of those seven surveils. So if I didn't know who was playing this deck, my first instinct would be like, what is happening here? Why is this going on? I'm sure these were thoughtful decisions. And like I said, the mitigating factor with the mana constraint is late game need for white. Uh, I'd still have to be super hesitant to take this into a tournament before I played it a bunch and made sure all of this checks out and not just the fact that this is one of the best players on the planet beating up competition that couldn't keep up with him. Yep. Next deck is by LSN. This is Mono Green Aggro splashing a little white for some Ixalan's Bindings and Night of Autumn uh, with some additional stuff in the sideboard like Baffling End and two very, very ambitious Lyra Dawnbringers. Yeah, more ambitious mana usage. I like Nullhide Ferrex. I think that's a card that probably wasn't getting its due and is now starting to. You're starting to see it in some sideboards once in a while. But we we did this mono green stuff already. The addition of cards like Ripjaw Raptor are not enough to excite me. This deck didn't cut it early on, and I don't really see anything that's changed 
uh, either with deck construction or the format in general to make me believe that this deck has what it takes at this point. I don't know. I think Pelt Collector, Steel Leaf Champion, Nullhide Ferox are very good, very powerful threats. Jeskai and Blue Red are going to struggle with basically each of these. I mean, like you only have so many Lava Coils, right? Yeah, and then the deck will get obliterated by Golgari, right? Like just absolutely obliterated. Maybe. I mean, their deck isn't very removal heavy or anything. Like they have a bunch of Midnight Reapers in their deck now. I'm not sure how they actually match up. You have many virtual Chupacabras. The Ixalan's bindings are not going to handle any threats from the Golgari side of things. Yeah, the bindings do not help. I, I definitely agree there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never had trouble with these decks uh, in my Golgari play, which is actually my deck of choice currently, but we can get to that later. It just hasn't been a challenging matchup. They don't do enough. They have a bunch of big, scary creatures that you are somehow always prepared to answer. Word. Next deck is from Noir, 1934. This is uh, basically the Boros deck that Jeremy Dazani top-aided with, up to and including Goblin Instigator, a uh, sideboard that has four Takatli Honor Guard, which I think is fairly underplayed right now. Yeah, it definitely has trended down over the past few weeks. It's weird. I don't know. I think, I think Honor Guard is great, and there's probably a good Boros deck that has, like, Honor Guard treasure map. I just don't know what it is maybe you're supposed to do the angelie thing or like a sam blacky kind of thing who knows uh the the ajani to cotley honor guard combination is still the best way for these decks to address golgari what do you think about the mox list i, I believe it went 8-0 in the standard mox and it was back to four heroic reinforcements so a pretty dramatic change from where a lot of these lists have been this is doing the same thing uh just a a little bit smaller creature suite there. I think there was four Hunted Witness or three Hunted Witness. So going a little bit lower down the curve and none of the really big stuff like Aurelia Main or Boros Challenger or Goblin Instigator or anything like that. Yeah, 15 one-drops, uh, four Dono Vanguard, four Venerated Loxodon, mm-hmm. and then the usual stuff. Like it is, It is weird to me that the PT kind of showed that the four drops main deck in the deck were not very good, but now those are just kind of making a comeback again and... Uh, it could be to, in response to all the Deafening Clarions, like Jeskai seems just very popular in general on Magic Online, and maybe that's the best answer. I don't know. That's been my experience, and I think Hunted Witness is the exact same thing, where like they will now Clarion you in turn three, and then you'll still kill them on turn four via some, you know, Adanto Vanguard type combination. It's happened in my experience. This is another deck I've played a bunch. I've, I've played the Mox list a bunch and been impressed by its resiliency. And, and I think Heroic Reinforcements has a lot to do with it. It still has the same downsides, though. I mean, it can be very clunky in a ton of spots and your mana base gets much worse. You lose access to uh, your Benelish Marshals. So th- there's cost to it. But in general, I think that is a reaction to the Jeskai deck showing up. Yeah, legit. I mean, 8-0 in a Mox is no joke for sure. Yep. Uh, next deck is uh, Troy GG36, and this is, I believe, a Saffron Olive Quad Quasi-Duplicate deck. I, I have no opinion on how good this deck is, but it is sweet. And Quasi-Duplicate is a card that if you've played it in Limited, you know how incredibly powerful it is. It's can busted. Be. Yeah, absolutely. And this deck is maximizing it in a lot of spots, you know. Duplicating your Dream Eaters is always going to be sweet. There's a lot of nice stuff here. Chupacabras, just value all over the place. And some card advantage in Thief of Sanity. 
I just don't know enough to give a solid assessment of this deck, but I like a lot of what's going on here. And it wouldn't surprise me if this deck has some potential. It is doing a good job of playing both ends of the spectrum, kind of an, a quasi mid-range type deal. Uh, if you'll forgive my repetition of quasi duplicate there. Yeah. But th- there's a lot of nuance to this deck list, I believe. It's five of multiple times. Uh, do the Vampire Sovereigns in the sideboard make you like or hate the deck? E for effort, but I don't know if this is the <laughs> correct solution. You know what they're doing, right? Like there's a, there's a purpose to it. And if you gain a flurry of life, that sounds great, but it seems a bit slow to me. I don't know. Next deck is by Nino MTG. This is uh, straight blue-black control. I don't remember the exact numbers on the deck that Cuneo and Logan Nettles played at the PT, but I know that they had one Ravenous Jupacabra main, which this deck does not have, so I don't think it is an exact copy. But yeah, this is going fairly hard on disinformation campaign, a lot of different surveil triggers and just basically planning to win with overwhelming card advantage and some Eldest Reborns. Yeah, we've we've talked about disinformation campaign at length. Nothing has changed my opinion. I see what this deck is going for. It's just that there is a lot of high impact individual cards where like you can do this disinformation campaign stuff early on and just get blown out off the top of a deck and have it not all matter that much. So I'm still passing on this deck. I would do something like the quasi-duplicate list before I looked into this disinformation campaign list. Even with a little bit of pedigree behind it, obviously a very good team chose to play it at the Pro Tour. I think Mark Jacobson wrote an article about it, which you should check out if you're interested in this archetype. But still not for me, still not a believer in disinformation campaign that hasn't really changed. Yeah, me either. I will note that Eldest Reborn and Thought Erasure are two of the best possible cards against Nimbizit, though. Yeah, but I think we're going to get to a better home for those cards as we move through this. Word, man. I'm just saying. Uh, next deck is Tossed Norte. Yep. Did I blow it? No, I, that's that's what I would go with. I mean, if, if you blew it, I, I'm blowing it too. Okay. Uh, Boros. This is actual Boros. Uh, nine Plains, Seven Mountains, Boros Challengers, Aurelia's Tajiks, the whole shebang. So if you, if you read my article... Uh, right after the Pro Tour, I wrote about Boros and the evolution of Boros and how it took a lot of time to kind of weed all the nonsense out of our decks and get back to what Boros was actually meant to do, which was kill your opponent as quickly as possible with a ton of one drops and Loxodons. And this deck is just like, you know what? I'm going back in on that nonsense. I'm committed to this plan of having one spell per turn and having them be more powerful. You still have very nice cards contained here, but this is like... This is what the good version of Boros is supposed to sideboard into in some places, not what you're supposed to be as a game one deck in my eyes. I, I like just being more aggressive in game ones and having access to some of these cards when you get to post-board games instead. Yeah, or at the very least, be a little bit bigger in game one. I mean, if if that's your game plan, then you should probably not have things like Boros Challenger and Legion War Boss, and you should just have the Angel package. Yeah, I still hate Legion War Boss too. That is... That is not a main deck card to me. It is a sideboard card for decks that are creature light to work as a change of pace. It's been so underwhelming on every single board, unless our opponents are just completely unprepared for it. I don't see it playing this main deck role effectively. Agreed. Next deck is by Lidar, who is a uh, top four 
Magic Online Championship Series competitor. So like the actual mocks, the 24 player mocks. Uh, he made the top four in the year that Raptor won. And it's not surprising to see him playing a green deck. And it's not surprising to see him playing a green deck that his countrymen took to good success at the last PT. This is the pretty normal looking Selesnya deck with four Nullhide Ferox in the sideboard. Yeah, this this may be the exact version of the best performing Japanese green white deck, uh, maybe card for card. Nothing really new going on here, but we talked a lot post Pro Tour about how we like the Nullhide Ferox. Remains the same. Uh, good wrinkle for this deck to have out of the sideboard. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really like this look, and I think I probably need to play a little bit more with Jeskai or with Celestia, sorry, just in general, but. I don't know. I I think that this deck is fine and is probably underrated. That's my take as well. A lot of good matchups in places where they didn't exist before. And you also just like have a powerful proactive plan that can overwhelm your opponents regardless of what they're doing, which seems like a nice place to be as things open up a little bit more. A lot of what other people are doing are looking for their specific answers and threats to line up really well with the format. And here's a deck that's just like, well, my best draws are kind of unbeatable. I can shift to a lot of things in post-board games that you're probably not prepared for. Let's just play it like this. And all those, I mean, like typically you expect a deck like this to be super soft to sweepers and those type of effects. But in post-board games, I don't even think that's true anymore. I, I think you're able to laugh off a bunch of sweepers that your opponents may have. Yeah, they're maybe trading one for one. Right, right. Next deck is by MDF MDF, and this is probably, well, it's not exactly Owen's deck, right? But very close. Very, very close. So, is it Drake's four Electromancer, 21 land? Main deck Spice includes a Beacon Bolt, an Entrancing Melody, a Niv Mizzet, and a Murmuring Mystic. I still believe this version of the deck to ultimately be fine. There's. A bunch of ways to take this approach. It does seem to me like focusing a bit more on Niv-Mizzet right now would pay benefits. A lot of the format's kind of motions and gyrations were built around accounting for this deck. This is the deck that kind of changed everything and and reshaped the entire landscape. Uh, But those adjustments have been made. And it's still a super powerful deck. That's why the format had to shift around it to some extent. But there might be a better spot to kind of target in this same general archetype who is arclight phoenix actually good against i know that uh Vieren's article was all about blocking with arclight phoenix but right. but but really like is that is that better than just casting an enigma drake and then having like another drake with a dive down i think phoenix is at its best still against golgari granted there are more of raska's contempts than there have been in the past for sure so it's not as good as it once was and it's still just like a good creature even if it's not at its optimal point at this moment it's still totally acceptable i just think decks like this would be so soft to something like golgari in the absence of this plan that it's a little scary and and maybe that's my pushback against the first list we looked at that was going far harder harder on the niv mizzet plan because we've talked about how vulnerable that card is to the ravenous chupacabra decks you're trying to account for that with dive down i think that probably works in a bunch of spots but a little bit of a risky game to be playing in game one. Yeah, I mean, I think the first deck is more about sticking the Drakes and then the Nimbusit is just a nod to, well, the games are probably just going to go long, all of our cards are going to trade. So mm. I want some sort of top end. I could buy that. Mysteries. 
Next deck is by Oyvanyu29. I definitely butchered that. Jeskai Control, four treasure map, three Niv-Mizzet, one Chemister's Insight. So, you know, deviating from Adrian's list a little bit. Also, Sinister Sabotage. Huh? Dealing with the bigger Drakes here as opposed to the... Yeah. The three mana guys. I, I really respected Adrian's zero chemistry's insight, though. I know it's a card that you do not like at all, and uh, I think Adrian was certainly rewarded for it there. I mean, the power level of this deck is higher, right? And and I think one chemistry's insight is very different from four chemistry's insight. Yes. Like, you've you've happily played your chemistry's insight in the even the Arclight Phoenix decks before, just because having access to one can change a lot of things for you. Well, that's that's different, too, because that was at the the very tippy top of the curve. And you also had Electromancer. Right. And I think it it was it was like a fine bridge to help you get to six mana to play Niv and post board games and stuff. But yeah. But one here is is not a disaster like that is not, you know, a a sticking point for me on on this deck list. I think Adrian was on to something, honestly, with being able to utilize the three mana spot much better um, and, and still getting a lot of values from those Drakes. I was I was less awed by the Rekindling Phoenix. I, yes. I did like the three mana Drake quite a bit though, and I think it was very instrumental in his success. I haven't really liked either, and I haven't really liked Crackling Drake either. Just for for the most part, four mana cards with treasure map end up being very clunky and very poor. Hmm. And you feel the same way about the three mana Drake as well. Uh I just don't know if you necessarily need it. It, it is certainly nice to have something that is both uh, a blocker and a threat and can encourage people to overextend only to walk into a Clarion and stuff. So mm. I do think you need something in that spot. I just don't know what the best thing is. Okay. And yeah, the the one thing I really don't like about these Jeskai decks is the amount of expansion explosion, Chemister's Insight, Nimizit, and Teferi. It just seems like there's so much top end. Yeah, I think a lot of what Adrian solved is just getting his ultimate draw engine onto the board on turn two and not having to deal with that uh, in most instances and relying on card quality and potentially eventual draws coming from the flip treasure map or a well-protected Nimbizit. You're right. There's just so much of this same kind of redundant effect uh, and maybe you just don't need it anymore. You can do things a lot more cleanly. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think too. And I think that you could probably get away with only being blue-red. You don't necessarily need the Clarions, but who knows. Mm-hmm. Next deck is by Rio Jund. And this is a person I've played against a decent amount. Uh, they have played some form of blue-black control basically every time I've played against them. Although I know that they're playing like big red splashing white when whatever the last core set came out was so a lot of mid-range basically and uh this time they're playing grixis control again we see uh more thought erasures and some eldest reborns no disinformation campaign and some odd choices with like a beacon bolt a couple carns sort of all over the place yeah the 25 land is a bit of a sticking point for me as well no real way to uh ensure hitting land drops outside of the early surveils from things like thought erasure but i I do like this approach better than the disinformation campaign decks i think having access to red is kind of important getting access to star of extinction extinction cleans up a lot of problems you otherwise have so going this route makes some sense to me bolus has not impressed me i i don't know if it's just me but 
playing against this card, it really never feels like an actual threat. Uh, and I've seen many boluses flip and fail to matter whatsoever, especially in the Golgari matchup. It seems to be that you're just trying to recoup so much from the investment and it's difficult to do so unless you've had a really successful early game anyway. So I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of things I like about this approach in terms of just having the best vehicle for Thought Erasure. And I actually like the one Beacon Bolt. I think that's a nice add that more control decks could pick up and get a little value out of that extra land in the late game. Um, because you don't have something like Expansion Explosion where you have to just hit all of your drops. Uh, there will come a point where redundant lands are not what you're looking for. So it's a little bit different in that sense from more classic control decks. Yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, this deck kind of wants to get to seven for Bolas and Star. Uh, I haven't seen those situations you described where Flip Bolas fails to do anything, but I believe it for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, next deck is by Funky Monkey, yet another Grixis deck. Uh, 25 lands, this time 4 Treasure Map, 4 Niv-Mizzet, 2 Dive Down. Yeah, so getting closer to what you were talking about, I think, by just turboing Niv-Mizzet in a lot of spots, but uh, some some weird black pickups here that, do you need them? Can you get away with just the red stuff? I think yes. I, I'd like an Eldest Reborn Splash. I think that's probably fine. But going as far as something like main deck Golden Demise and Vraska's Contempt, again, you're asking a ton from your mana base. Can it be provided? Probably. Uh, I bet a lot of games you you play smoothly. What are we looking at? 12 black sources here? Yeah. yeah. So when that's I, the, when that's I on the saw, low side. When I first saw this deck, I was like, oh man, Funky Monkey broke it, right? And then I look at the Golden Demise, Ritual of Soot, and 12 black sources, and I'm just like, how? You you can't do it. You can't even play a basic swamp because of Niv-Mizzet, right? It's just so yeah. bad. So you, you are very much pigeonholed into only having the 12 black sources, and I just don't see how you could do this. I think the answer you would probably get would be Treasure Map. I don't think that's a good answer. Like, that's relying on everything going right for you, essentially. And, and getting to the point. And that's also a later game card where you need Golden Demise on turn three. Treasure map doesn't matter one lick. So there is a more refined and careful way to do something like this. But I, I don't think the double black sweepers are what you're looking for here. Like, why can't you just use Star? Star makes a lot more sense to me in, in that kind of role. And granted, they're not answering that early blitz, but you have other ways around that. You know, play some Shivan Fires, get some one rat, one mana removal into your deck, and then maybe you can account for those cards. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, one of the things that I would want to do with this deck probably is add a land and cut an island and play, you know, some Cinder Barons or whatever, like some, mm. some additional black source. I don't think it's good, but it's probably an upgrade. Yeah, at that point, you have to... Just worry about casting your spells on time, too. And you know how it is when you add that one of Cinder Barons that will always show up on the turn you need an untapped land. It just floats its way to the top of the deck very casually and ruins your day every time. It wouldn't have been a land otherwise. I guess that's fair. But uh, it still doesn't do you any good. You're still sad about it. Eh, I mean, if you get to play it on turn one, whew, man, you're lucky. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's great. That's the ideal situation. But uh in, in practice, things don't go the way we want like that every time. Next deck is from Pascal Maynard, and this is another Boros deck, uh, kind of similar to Ben White's deck where there's, you know, some Aurelia, some Siege Gang Commanders. It's like got a bigger red feel to it, except uh, this one is really trying hard to utilize Militia Bugler. Yeah, we're doing the Bugler stuff for our card advantage, and I think stuff like this... 
looks awesome on paper, you start thinking like, oh my God, my bugler hits are amazing. But then it's like, is this actually any better than treasure map if games go long? Almost certainly not. I don't think I buy this one either. There's a lot of card advantage here, which would get you a lot of points against something like Jeskai, obviously. And where we saw Ben's deck have to go as far as main deck Banefire, this gets away with not really dealing with that. And I think you probably steal some late games against those control decks with this setup. Maybe not as many as you would like. And I think you probably pay for it by being worse positioned against most other setups. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, against control decks, you might be able to do stuff like a Johnny Direfully Daredevil and still be able to play their game. But the problem that I found with a lot of decks like this is that you're kind of just spinning your wheels and then the other decks are just going to go over the top of you. Like they're going to mm. find finality, either get back creatures or just like sweep your board while they keep a big threat in play. And you're just going to be too far behind because you're going to untap and play like three grizzly bears. You know, it's just it is not really what you want to be doing. And against the the Niv-Mizzet decks, it's like, yeah, you have Ixalan's Binding, and, and that's it. Like, you better hope you have a Binding, they don't have a Pierce or a Dive Down, and you just have, like, no hope of clocking them fast enough, really. Right, right. They're going to get to do their thing, and that's a scary proposition when the thing is Niv-Mizzet. Right. And this deck isn't even playing History, for example, so it's it's really tough to actually put on a real clock. You got those Legion War Bosses, though, which always get played on clear boards and totally take over the game. Yeah, yeah, you got War Boss and Adana Vanguard, and that's about your only hope. Yep. Next deck is from Longville 65. We got some more green monsters. This time, uh, some Thunderherd Migration, some Savage Stomps, some Communes, and some Sarkins Unsealings. There's a little buzz around this deck for like a minute. I, I think people were into it. I know Jacob Wilson was doing some dinosaur stuff. I don't know that it looked exactly like this. Uh, you could see where these bodies and a bunch of main deck Clarions lined up against the format for a moment, but I don't think I buy it anymore. I think there's a lot of vulnerability to just basically everything. Like It seems like everyone has some kind of suitable plan they can enact against you. Sure, sometimes you're just going to play big stuff, and that's going to be the end of the game. Uh, keyword big is often quite good. Other times, it's not going to be enough. Sarkin's Unsealing, a little too inconsistent for me. Still passing on this strategy right now. But I like the attempt. And look, this might just be a dual land away from being something special. Who knows? I joined a league like a week ago. My first two rounds were against dinosaurs. And I was like, what the hell is happening? Did you win? Uh, I went one and one with Mono Red. Okay. Probably a pretty scary matchup, right? Big bodies there, tough to get through. Deafening Clarion gaining a bunch of life. Yeah, the the Clarion life gain was what did it, because obviously if the game goes long enough, I can, you know, draw cards with experimental frenzy or yeah. I I had like risk factors and stuff that were drawing me cards, but like Registore Alpha doesn't give you a lot of time, which is certainly good. And then if you do Clarion for life gain, then it's just lights out. But mm-hmm. Sarkin's Unsealing is another one of those cards where it's like, can you really afford to just like militia bugler people or play Selesnia. I mean, eventually you're, you're just going to lose to stuff like this. Yeah. Giving opponents setup time right now is a scary proposition and any turn kind of taken off from affecting the board. Uh, even if it gets dividends down the road, it, it's still a scary turn to play. Next deck is by amnesia, but spelled incorrectly because presumably someone else had that screen name. So I don't really like this solution, but you know, whatever. Take what you can get. Esper Control, this time 27 land. 
Uh, that's that's a, a lot more basics to help our, our mana work. I don't know, no real threats, like one profane procession, a couple thought erasures, very light black components, uh, but still, you know, just like seal awaying to ferrying, that sort of thing. Yeah, so let me say this. At least this is like a deck that has a clear color identity. This is a blue-white deck splashing some black cards, basically thought erasure, profane procession, profane procession, and a moment of craving. So there is some discipline there, which I do respect. I think this, the gambit here is that Settle the Wreckage is a very good card right now, and you're kind of willing to tolerate some other inefficiencies for the purpose of having Settle the Wreckage. But if you just have Settle the Wreckage, you really have no chance in a bunch of other awkward spots. So you have to have access to something like Thought Erasure and maybe a little bit of concern about the super aggro decks as well, where you're relying on a four mana sweeper as opposed to a three mana sweeper. So you're doing moment of craving type stuff, uh, especially in post-board games where you have access to more of that effect. Sideboard Thief of Sanity is interesting out of your completely otherwise creatureless deck. I'm sure that catches people every now and then. I'd, I'd be more inclined to play this than the Esper list we looked at earlier. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think at least it has an identity and is attempting to do something. I could see doing a leak with this deck, see what's going on here. There's a, there's a lot of cards that are a little underrepresented right now in the format that this deck has access to. And I like that about it. Yeah. And obviously you can't get away from four to fairy, no other win conditions. Yeah, that's kind of like my weakness in life, right? You, <laughs> you show me four Teferis and nothing else. I just like, I do like the uh, distracted boyfriend meme and just look over at the Teferis immediately. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this deck is very cognizant of Carnage Tyrant as a card. Mm-hmm. Like that that would be basically your number one problem from playing a, a hard control deck like this. But there are six sweepers, two thought erasures, more thought erasures in the sideboard, Eldest Reborn, etc. Yep. So yeah, very, very cognizant of that card. This deck is well prepared to answer the card, I believe, and, and the smart concession. I mean, it's just something you have to account for if you're going to play a list like this. Yep, absolutely. Uh, next deck is by Erost or Erost. I don't know. E-R-O-S-T. Erost. Erost. Sure. This is Golgari. This is just straight, medium, normal Golgari. Is it going to disappoint you when I tell you that I have somehow found my way now Back to Golgari as the deck that I default to playing a lot of games with? Uh, no. I mean, it's just like so consistent, so how, powerful. How many gems have you won? That's the real question. I have so many gems. <laughs> I, I literally have not gotten my max quantity of wins ever in a league with Golgari. I've probably played like five or six and I just always end up with my five wins. So that's bringing me a lot of joy. There's a lot of small tweaks that get you a lot of value. Midnight Reaper being one of them. Uh, especially in a control-heavy meta, which is how I would classify Magic Arena. More on that later. We can talk about it. But uh, there's so many powerful cards here. Vivian Reed continues to impress in a a host of matchups. I like having access to Veraska's Contempt. There's just a lot that this deck can do that no other deck in the format can do as consistently. And that's worth a lot. And maybe I naysayed this deck a bit. I don't think I ever went as far as naysaying Golgari. I think I went as far as to say there were other better options. And, you know, to some extent, I still believe that. I I don't think you're going to find a 60% win rate with Golgari, but you might be playing a tournament at 52% win rate. And sometimes that's that's just what you're looking to do where you don't have anything a little bit flashier. So this deck remains solid. I wouldn't fault anyone for continuing to play it. 
You're getting it in good, but in magic tournament terms, that doesn't necessarily get you anywhere. Right. Go, you usually should be striving for more. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I obviously think that this deck is solid. I just don't think that you can really make a case for just amalgamating the list and playing like one big Fresca, two Carnage Tyrant, two Doom Whisperer. It's like, what are you, what are you trying to beat? Yeah, so my personal take is I actually don't play either Relic Seeker or Doom Whisperer. What you're saying is spot on. What are those cards actually doing? What matchups are you benefiting from having those? I actually like Seth's approach, which I would categorize as the six uh, ramp guys or elves, as it were. So I think just having access to more mana is generally better in a deck like this where you have the capability to always instill your game plan because your game plan is just like so proactive and powerful and it has so much room for adaptability and versatility that if you're casting your spells, it often feels impossible to lose in a bunch of spots. And that's the concession I'm making right now, just having access to consistent, you know, very just always the right mana. Like there's so many things working in your favor between the branch walkers, the jade light rangers, you always have what you need to cast your spells. And that's a nice feeling. You get to play magic every single game you play. Yeah, this this does have to be one of the most consistent decks in the format for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Next deck is by Dylan ninety three twenty islands and uh, shitters. Is that what we're calling it now? I think yeah, I do think that is the accepted term, and I love the term by the way because that is uh, the clearest definition of what's going on here. Just the the biggest shitters on the planet. Um, not to say they can't combine to get a win, and they often do. I don't know. Who do you want to play this deck against? Like, where do you like Mono Blue's position? No one. Okay. You, you got nothing for me? If I could palm Curious Obsession, I'd be all about it. But I don't know. There's nothing wrong with bad creatures, man. Bad red creatures, bad white creatures. Those those cards have been beaten up on folks. They have, but a little bit less so than Mono Blue creatures. I am trying to think of my theoretical metagame where I really, really like this deck. And it's like, yes, this is the spot for Mono Blue. And I... I really can't construct it. And that could be a failing on my part. I'm not saying there doesn't exist a spot where you absolutely want to go in on this deck, but I, I don't know what it is. You, you'd have to explain it to me. Well, I don't know the answer, so we'll just move on. Okay. Next deck is by Ozzy51. Uh, another Boros deck, one Pride of Conquerors, 20 land, pretty low to the ground. Got some Rustwing Falcons. Yeah, going hard on the one drops here, the hyper, hyper aggressive versions. Can I just say I love Response Resurgence in this deck? I, I think in these versions, that card is actually kind of criminally underplayed. It's a really nice angle for these decks to have access to. Fine removal spell, and sometimes you just steal the game with Resurgence, and that's great. So I like the one copy here. I don't know that I would go harder than that, but I really like it as just the one of Maz type inclusion. Yeah, I don't mind it. it it's actually a card that... I felt kind of bad about because I didn't even think about it for consideration for Mono Red for the PT. I don't think that I necessarily would have played it because it's probably worse than Fight with Fire in general, but it mm. deserves a look at the very least. Yeah, I think so. And especially in this archetype, which is very um, removal light, you know, you're mostly relying on your Conclave Tribunals and Resurgence matters a lot in this deck, like a lot. It's a bunch of little creatures that'll very much enjoy attacking twice in a turn. It can swing a lot of races in your favor. So good inclusion here. And I think this deck requires 
your opponent's disrespecting it for it to really rise to the top of the metagame. And I think appropriate respect is being paid right now. It's trending down. I'll say that you're seeing much, much less on the sweeper side of things than you were just going back a couple of weeks. Uh, so there, it wouldn't surprise me if this deck steals a tournament sometime soon. There are so many Grixis decks in this deck dump. So but many. But that ritual- doesn't mean anything. No, I'm just the saying the fact that they're here doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying ritual of soots and golden demises and basically what you were saying were like people are adequately respecting it currently. Yes, I, I think that's true, but it is trending down. It's not what we were looking at immediately following the Pro Tour. Where everyone was just like, I need to beat this deck. And everyone did so, by the way, very effectively. Things are backing off from that point. Next deck is by Maticetto. Love it. Okay. Grixis. Uh, this one is four Nickel Bolas, four Doom Whisperer, two Dive Down. I absolutely love that take for Grixis. You do need to end the game quickly. And giant flyers are good on O and good on D. The one thing I don't really like is you have this flyer plan that tries to kill your opponent. And then you're also working them with three disinformation campaigns. I don't really understand that. Turns out we hate that card in every single possible deck it's included in. But dive down is just a real magic card, right? Like this is a card that was slept on to some extent, probably because it was in a format with blossoming defense for a long time. And that certainly, you know, stole a lot of its thunder. But as the format exists now, as much as we're seeing this card creep into main decks, it's probably still underplayed. There's probably other things you can do with it, be it some kind of Thief of Sanity setup. I mean, if you hit with a Thief of Sanity, you're often so far ahead. It's just a difficult card to proactively protect and get through. Maybe we'll see even more out of Dive Down in the future. I don't think this card is anywhere near done in the standard format. Dude, you know that when Breeding Pool comes out, people are going to be all about Steel Leaf Champion Dive Down. Sure, absolutely. It's, and it's going to be the probably new rightly so. Yeah, there's there's stuff to do there. Why don't we do some Merfolk stuff? We can protect our. I don't even remember the card anymore. Kamina is that the Merfolk Lord? Yeah, that's a card. Yeah, we can protect that now. Maybe there'll be new Merfolk. People love when Merfolk show up. Are there Merfolk on Ravnica? I don't think there are. Uh, I don't know. Probably not. I ain't never probably seen not. one. Yeah, in all my time on Ravnica, I've never spied a Merfolk. Well, it's my third time here, you know? You'd think you'd see That's one at true. some point. We've spent time here. Uh, Yeah, this deck is cool. I just want to put treasure map in everything, I guess. So maybe <laughs> that is a weakness of mine. But uh, you have my attention with Fatty plus Dive Down, especially with Thought Erasure. I like that card. I think treasure map makes more sense here than Disinformation Campaign. Maybe yeah. that's just my prejudice against Disinformation Campaign, but that's honestly the way I feel about it. Yep. Next deck is by Stainerson, a.k.a. Tommy Ashton, and this is this is my number two in this decklist dump for sure. This is the Molder Hulk special, and interesting inclusions are two Crawl Harpooner, two Crawl Foragers, which is the 4G, 4-4 ETB gain of life for mm-hmm. each creature in your graveyard, and four Midnight Reaper, which is a lot. A random Lanor Elves, for God knows what reason. A lot less troll, <laughs> and a Zoni, two Golgari Raiders. Do you know that when the set was... I don't know if it had just... I think it had just been released at this point. I actually started penning an article entitled, Lotless Giant is the New Splinter Twin. And thankfully, I backed off that take... This time went on. That may have been a bit of hyperbole, and I did not actually publish that article, although now I've revealed it to everyone and outed myself. But anyway, I, I love seeing the inclusion of Lotless Giant here. This deck seems cool. It seems like it's doing something that nobody else is really prepared to interact with. We, you know how high I was on Stitcher Supplier, Molder Hulk, 
Hulk type shenanigans. And this deck is doing it to the max. It's finding success repeatedly. This is on my two playlist, 100%. And I can't wait to, to check it off because it's exactly the type of strategy I was hoping would exist when I saw all these cards, the Stitcher Supplier, Glow Spore, Shaman combination. It's, it's what I was dreaming of, really. I could probably build this deck on Arena because it's all GRN cards. Uh, yeah, this is a cheap one, and I'm sure you have drafted many of these. And I have a lot of the other ones from my experiences with Golgari, so maybe that's where I'm headed right after this cast is to fire up a little arena. You going to stream? No, 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 I'm not. Why Are you going to stream when you fire it up? God, no. I'm yeah. going to be doing four other things when I when I play arena, though. Right, and generally my approach is the same. I don't know. Someday I will stream again. I'm kind of on your plan where the once yearly stream happens and uh, nobody really gets excited for it the way they do for your stream. But, you know, for those like 25 people, it's a very special occasion. (laughs) I'm sure that number is going to be bigger now. Maybe. Uh, The the last deck is by Capera02. Playing some mono red. This looks like Oliver Tomiko 75 from Milwaukee. Uh, I was going to call this your 75 from the Pro Tour. Is that not accurate? Oh, wait, no. This is four Wizards Lightning, two Risk Factor. What's missing? Oh, Lava Coil. No Lava Coils. Oh, okay. Yep, that's the switch. All right, well, that's that. That's a big difference. I hate it. Yeah, I was going to ask how you felt about it. I'm assuming you're still a Lava Coil uh, aficionado. Dude, Lava Coil's so good. They're not gone. They're in the sideboard. Uh, is there any consideration to this maybe being time for Wizards Lightning as opposed to Coil Main? No, nah, because there's still Wild Growth Walkers and Drakes out there, man. Yeah, and the control decks almost universally picking up Drake, that really pushes me to being like, I need my Lava Coils. Right. Uh, I, I would be afraid to play without Lava Coil, man. I don't have that kind of iron consistency that you need to be able to pull off something like that. I would just fear the the four butts all day blocking me efficiently. Yep. Uh, so what what else do you want to talk about? Arena, I guess? I, I mean, I would love to talk about Arena because it's it's where I play Standard right now. And it's where I, I'm just going to put this out there. I don't see myself ever playing Standard on Magic Online again. Because why why would I? What is the purpose to playing on Magic Online? The, the only answer you can give is PTQs. And that's a fine answer. If, if that's where your endeavors lie right now, then that's a concession you probably have to make. For me, that's not my number one priority. I just want to understand standard, play standard. And Arena is the way to do that. I I mean, the difference is I've used Magic Online for, we're approaching 15 years now, I think. I I was in Magic Online from the beginning. And in those first early years, I just loved playing Magic Online. It's all I wanted to do. I loved everything about it. And as the years went on and at the program actually just got worse over the years and not better. And everything around it got much better. And the experience with everything else got much better. It just became a tool that I used to do research. And I still enjoy that research to this day that that never went away, but the actual gameplay was like a chore I had to go through to learn the information I wanted on arena. I'm literally playing magic for the purpose of both learning and just enjoying a, well-played, quick game of Magic. And that makes all the difference in the world. It's a complete game changer. Uh, I am in a full-blown arena addiction at this point, and I I just love it. I I can't rave about the program enough. It has changed my relationship with Standard entirely. 
So I will play Arena basically every other day. I do have some problems, and for some of them, I will play Devil's Advocate with you because these are things that I've run into. So for starters, like card availability for me on Magic Online is a non-issue. I can like speculate on cards if I want to. I can sell my old decks to buy new ones. I can, you know, play in tournaments and win tickets and like even like cash out of tickets if I want to, but that's mostly irrelevant. And for MTG Arena, it's just like, how say I, you know, I built a deck or two decks and then I, I run out of wild cards. What is my best way of acquiring another deck? Or like even starting from scratch, what is my best way for acquiring the entirety of standard? So I have issues with the card production system as well. And I, I think the fifth card issue is very real and deserves an answer. And it sounds like there may be one in progress, but I also would hypothesize and i don't know this because i just haven't reached this point yet i think that if when arena came out i did whatever it took to acquire four of every card in standard and i don't i don't know what that looks like like obviously i just buying a bunch of packs from all the sets and you know some dollar investment of 500 600 dollars i i don't know i i don't i don't know what the numbers are i would be fascinated to hear if anyone has actually just done this acquired four of everything and what it cost if they had an optimal way to do so but but anyway if you reach that point where you just have everything and then you're playing tournaments and you're playing you know you're you're doing your daily quest you're getting all your rewards it might be possible that from that point you actually never have to put in money again I think you can build up enough stock in both coins and gems that come the next set's release. You just have this incredible stockpile and you're just like, yep, I'll take all the new cards, please. And then you repeat every single new set. Now, I don't know this for sure. And and maybe I'm crazy and being a little bit too uh, you know, friendly to their economic model. But I mean, I have like 30,000 gold in my account right now. And there's a bunch of gems and I have three top tier decks and I've put in like $150. That seems pretty good to me. I I mean, by some metrics, that's still a lot of money. I understand that. But I think by most collectible card game metrics, that's really, really good, really fair. And there's the potential to just generate more cards as time goes on. I mean, part of that relates to finding success in competition and like being a pretty good magic player. And obviously that's going to be variable uh, across all people. But I'm not a platinum pro. I, I'm just like an above average magic player. So I have to think that for a lot of people, this will be even more efficient and even more possible to just have this one initial investment and have things roll from there. See, 30,000 gold isn't a lot though. How many packs does that equate to? Is that 30 packs? Yeah. Okay. So keep in mind that my like hardcore playing arena has basically occurred over the course of like three weeks. And I wouldn't even say I go as hard as I, like, if I wanted to, I could do more for sure. So I think it's possible. I I was talking with Jonathan the other day, who's the co-host of uh, the Head Games podcast. He estimated that he would have 80,000 gold by the time the next set rolled around. And he's basically just like, I'm pretty sure I'll just be able to get whatever I want at that point. Two, Two boxes doesn't get you everything though. It doesn't get you everything. But when you add to the fact that you're still generating gold throughout that entire set, I, I mean, I don't know. Again, I haven't actually done this. I have the feeling, though, that the upkeep investment is going to be mostly minimal after you have this initial, okay, now I have everything. Where do we go from here? 
Okay. I I honestly wish that I could just give them like a thousand dollars and just have a, a full collection for the entire lifespan, just so I would not have to like min max my wild cards and whatever. Like I, even if it was just like a, a monthly rental fee or whatever, I would be a lot happier with that. I mean, I do like the fact that there is a free to play model and that is getting like a lot of people into it and everything. But then my experience has been when I go to play constructed, I'm playing against people that have a lot of guild gates in their decks. Uh, have you been playing in like the competitive constructed tournaments? Yeah. Interesting. That has not been my experience. Once you get to like competitive constructed play, I've uh, mostly faced tier one decks. I would say like, the first three or four rounds were either monocolored decks or two colored decks with guild gates. Interesting. I've seen an incredible amount of Jeskai control. I feel like I play against it all the time. And I feel like I play the Golgari mirror quite a bit. I've literally never played against Jeskai. I know, I know that people play <laughs> it. Crazy. I know, I know that it exists and like leading up to the pro tour. Like I played a lot of mono red on arena because the games were so fast and right, I actually right. had all those cards. So yeah, I don't know. It's it for a, for a testing tool for me. It has not proven to be the greatest, and certainly there are like some issues with like you know drafting with bots and all that sort of thing. So like right. it's it's cool that I get to play a quick game. However, the, like access to good like tier one standard decks and like a lot of them, which is normally how I would practice on Magic Online, is not really an option for Arena. At least until, you know, someone shows me that it's possible. Like, I know that I could spend $1,000 and have all the cards, and then, like, the cards would rotate, and I can't do anything with them, and that blows. So now I'm just trying to figure out, like, how much am I supposed to invest? But almost certainly I will not be playing every single day and completing all my quests every day and have, like, 80,000 gold each time a new set comes out. It's more likely that, like, half the time I'm I'm just going to have to, like, buy stuff for the new set, and just, like, that's a huge upkeep cost. Well, that upkeep cost exists on Magic Online, though, right? Or are you just saying you profit enough that, in general, you don't have to worry about that? No, Magic Online is completely fine. Okay. I mean, what would you, what would you say you invest in a, in a new set on Magic Online when a new set comes out? Zero. You don't have any co- – you have no cost. You just have tickets in the bank. Yeah. Okay. Like, my account is maybe, like, 1,500 to 2,000 tickets worth right now. And, like, I've I've sold out a bunch over the years, and I've – bought in some uh kind of recently but it's not like oh a new set comes out and i need packs because it's like i'll sell off cards before they rotate and i'll be like stockpiling things and if you know something is going on i'll be like speculating on cards and just even for like the standard format it was so easy to just be like okay teferi's 20 tickets i'm gonna buy it okay teferi's 40 tickets i'm gonna sell it you know because like the format kept shifting it was like i would just always buy the low thing and sell it and it was just impossible to lose money yeah i basically don't play limited on magic online though because that's a huge thing okay i mean it's hard to argue against your point right like you have a system that's working for you that's basically not costing you any money so that's that's the ideal uh the ideal world i guess i'm not willing to do a lot of that micromanagement stuff and i just generally throw money at the problem and buy everything when it comes out and then i let it rot in my account so I manage Magic Online very poorly. Something like this feels a lot cleaner to me. And for me, if I have to supplement whatever gold income I have with a hundred dollar purchase at the release of a new set, which gets me, you know, approximately a hundred packs, I think I mostly end up with what I need at that point. Mostly. We'll have to see if that checks out. 
what if instead of two buys at Grand Prix, like let's just remove all buys from GPs, right? And mm-hmm. if you get the 5,500 Planeswalker points or whatever it is, you just get like, you know, 10,000 gold or something every time a second. So. <laughs> that would be sweet. I think there's a lot of tie-in opportunities and you might see more of that. And also let's keep in mind too that the current hypothetical economy we're discussing is one that's going to change, like almost certainly going to change. And if you eliminate duplicate fifth cards from packs, which is what their current proposed solution is, you might get very close to having the bulk of what you need from 100 packs every single time. I I don't know. I I see a world going forward where Arena is cheaper for me to participate in and something I enjoy much more, which is always going to be the main thing for me. The fact that I just enjoy the games. I enjoy the snappy gameplay. I get to play a lot more games. It's worth the cost of some lower competition right now. And let's also keep in mind that at some point, it looks like there's going to be a ladder. And as we climb to the top of the ladder, you're not going to have those problems anymore. You're only going to get paired against other competitors who are near the top. Uh, and that'll take away a lot of those concerns you're having with, you know, subpar yes. competition, some part, subpar decks. I, I absolutely agree. Like when I was playing a lot of Hearthstone and hovering around, like now, now it's a lot different with Hearthstone where if you're a legend, you get reset to rank four. And mm-hmm. I think that would have been super sweet. But even even before where like reset me to rank 20 or whatever, like I would just go up to like rank five super quickly. And then I would play like some super sweet games. And that was always fun. It was basically yeah. like I would, you know, play the 40 games to get up to that rank every month, which was a chore. But then I would always be paired against someone who knew what they were doing. And yeah, I want I want that for arena for sure. And Magic Online kind of has that because, like, the buy-in is so steep and not even just, like, prices of cards or whatever. It's just, like, knowing the program and, like, actively wanting to play Magic so much that you would, like, sit through playing on the program, right? Right. Uh, So, generally, if you're playing a league, you're playing against someone who's very good. And, obviously, if you play in a mox, you're playing against someone who's very, very good. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and Arena just doesn't really have that right now. And every time someone plays a Guildgate and Constructed, I just want to cry. I'm just like, why am I doing this? I understand. I understand. And I think a lot of what I'm banking on is that like, I see the potential and it feels more like inevitability to me. Like, yeah, the the tough part was nailed. The the magic gameplay was absolutely nailed. And I have faith the other pieces can come in around it. And it's, it's just real hard to go back. It's real hard to have to not have my spells auto cast and deal with the ugly interface. It's, it's, it's challenging, but uh, I don't want to downplay your concerns, and I know a lot of people share them, and I think they're valid. I just think they're going to be addressed at some point, given how well everything else has gone. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. And then when that becomes the case, then it's just like, all right, where do I play modern? I guess I play that on Magic Online or whatever. Yeah. Um, but if, if if it gets to a point where I can play standard and you know, like that path is relatively easy and I'm able to get out of it what I want. And in in the meantime, I have like that dopamine release from like completing my quest for playing 20 blue spells or whatever. It's just, it's, it's gravy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. And let's also not forget that like at some point this should be on your iPad and you're playing in bed and, you know, all these upgrades, which I hope, I, I hope and believe that they will be coming, which is weird to say about like a magic digital offering after so much pessimism, because I have been a magic online pessimist forever. And I think rightfully so. I think the program earned my pessimism. Yeah, um, absolutely. 
it feels weird to shift gears and have this kind of unbounded optimism. And look, I didn't start here. When I played the first version of Arena, I was like, well, flubbed it again. This is garbage. I'm never Same. going to play this. And I'm, I have done a complete 180. So I played day one of the alpha. It was not yep. playable because of the lag. And then Correct. the next time I touched it was uh, when open beta dropped. Same. Exactly the same experience, and uh, to say I was blown away would be a complete understatement. Yep, same. I like I I just expected not to like it, and I don't think that I'm super pigheaded or anything. But it is very difficult to change my mind if I I already think that something is just going to be true, right? Because it's like, oh, I already played with this, and it was bad, mm-hmm. and it it was just so good that it completely changed my mind. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people had that experience and, uh, you know, certainly very happy about it. And, you know, if something along the lines of us having a good viewing experience when the first arena tournaments start happening, like it's it's over. Yeah. I, I mean, there's so many game changers, right? Like, let's also keep in mind, there's no kind of social features whatsoever on the program right now. Like, there's no friend list. What if there's actually, like usable chat and you know you can actually become a social hub and that's a little scary you know with all that chat brings but there's just a lot of potential there and i'd rather at this point see the upside than potential downsides i kind of have my rose-colored glasses on and it feels good to be able to take that approach for once yeah no for sure i mean i remember version two of magic online and having clans and the clan chat and everything and that was the funnest part of 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 playing magic online for me totally agree totally agree and the fact that that never made it back to the program is kind of mind-blowing it's it's just unreal i mean it's it's there it's just so buried and like what the hell i just don't get it yeah Yeah, and you know maybe we'll have a replacement for that i hope so it it seems like the type of thing that there would be thought around so fingers crossed i believe that arena on ipad is very doable i'm skeptical of the mobile version but uh, if it happens again, complete game changer. Well, phones keep getting bigger, right? And my phone is enormous, right? Yeah, I know you just got the new, uh, what is it? The XS, is that what it's called? The yeah. iPhone XS, which makes yeah, it sound yeah. like it should be like the super small one, but it's not for whatever reason. No, no, that's it's, just, it's the super large one. That's just good branding. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's not debate, uh, Apple's approach to electronics. That's hey, they're, they're winning. They're winning for sure. Yeah, they are. I'll give them that. All right, you want to do a question? Sure, let's do a question. And why, this, why don't we keep talking about these digital card games? That seems to be the hot topic this week. Yeah, so two winners. Uh, Philippi says, will you play Artifact? And Luke, I have to find this, says, how much of other games do you play? Will you be trying out Artifact? They're basically the same question, and we haven't talked about this at all, so... I figured, why the hell not? We're already talking about Arena. Let's do it. Sure. I'm, I'm willing to chat a bit about Artifact, something that I think there was a lot of hype in the Magic community about. I think Pe- People in our Discord are asking about it. Like, they are dying to know what yep. we think about it. Therefore, yep. yes, it is very hyped. Uh, and I think that extended to a lot of professional Magic players who, you know, kind of saw this as maybe a greener pasture they could look to move to. Having missed out on the Hearthstone boom, I think there was a lot of hope that there was going to be a new Artifact boom that people could cling to. My opinion of Artifact is that it's pretty beautiful. Uh, it's got an interesting gameplay foundation. And having now drafted a bunch and being familiar with constructed although not having actually played any constructed at this point 
it's just not for me right now. I, I think it's got a nice core. There's not enough diversity and just interesting cards. All the cards feel like just bundles of numbers. And I think the game probably has a lot of potential, uh, but I don't want to be in on it on the floor. I don't want to be participating in just core set constructed and just core set draft. I'm going to sit out for a little bit. I want to check back in in a couple sets and see where things lie uh, because the base version just doesn't completely enrapture me at this point. Like I said, I think there's some neat game design stuff going on. I had a, a great time exploring it for a couple days. And then at the end of those couple days, I was just like, eh, I think I'd rather play Arena. It, it just wasn't appealing to me. And the fact that it's like tied to a PC and it doesn't even get those mobile bumps and probably always has to be given the complexity of uh, you know three separate battlefields. I, I don't know. I don't want to completely poo-poo it. I, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. But as it stands right now, I'm not going hard into Artifact. Uh, check with me in a couple sets, I think. Eternal had, it, it gave me like a lot of those same impressions where it's like, all right, this is one set and it's been only one set for a while and some cards get nerfed and whatever. But it was kind of bland and kind of boring. And now there are a bunch of sets out for Eternal and it actually like feels pretty good, even though, not really a whole lot has changed with the client or anything. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it it took a while for Eternal to hook me because it's like I need options with deck building and yes. I want there to be some cards that I really like and really feel strongly about. So I started playing kind of recently because uh, of this card Azendel in Eternal and I'm not even playing that much Constructed now. Now I'm just like, oh, okay, let's see what Draft is like and Draft has been kind of fun, so... Uh, those those things I think will happen eventually. Uh, the th- I have not played any artifacts. I've watched some people play it, and I was at uh, PAX West when they were like maybe debuting it or whatever. And I watched a little bit of the gameplay there, and it felt very busy to me. And I failed to kind of see how there could be a casual audience for this, given how complex it is and just the overall like look and scope of it. But Maybe maybe I'll be wrong about that. I don't know. I, the biggest knock for me is just exactly what you're describing. Is that it feels like there should be a card that absolutely hooks me. Like, oh, I have to build around this card. I have to know what this card is capable of. And that's almost completely absent from the set. For me, this is for me and other people might look for other things. And I don't want to discredit anyone's enjoyment of the game. If you are loving Artifact, please Artifact away. Have a blast. Uh, maybe I'll be right there with you in a few sets, but as it stands right now, nothing is pulling me into exploring constructed and draft is interesting, but I don't want to do it ad nauseum till the end of time. Uh, it, it didn't pull me in that hard. It, there's just not enough differentiation between draft decks for me to really get on board. Like the synergies never really quite clicked for me and, you know, small sample size, but you got to hook me. I mean, I mean, I'm a tough customer these days. There's a lot competing for my attention between all these video games, Magic Arena, Magic Online, a million other things I could be doing. You know, it's a hard sell and you have to really grab me. And as it stands right now, Artifact did not. But I will check back in. I, I promise you that. Yep. Yeah, I am. I'm traveling with a lot of electronic devices this weekend because I'm mm-hmm. playing a lot of different games currently and it's kind of awkward. Uh, so what else are you playing? I mean, that was part of the question here. Uh, I think people are always curious about our gaming habits. Yeah, uh, 
Shadowverse just dropped uh, mini expansions, like 20 new cards. That's been kind of tight. Uh, they also just nerfed a bunch of stuff as as they do. And so things are like a little bit different now. And then they do the cool thing where they have an expansion every three months. And then a month and a half to two months in, they drop like 20 new cards just to kind of like juice it up a little bit, keep it feeling fresh until the next set comes out. And that, yeah, that, is that cool. usually always works for me because there's some awesome new deck or two that I want to try. So I've been playing a little bit of that. Uh, Like I said, I have been playing a little bit of Eternal. Eternal keeps trapping me into joining their leagues, which sounds fun, and then I just never finish them because I don't want to play 40 games of Sealed. It's a lot of Sealed. It's a lot of Sealed. Uh, And then, yeah, Constructed's been okay. Draft has been pretty fun, even though it's basically just like Zendikar, just like hyper aggro, put pants on my thing, kill you. Okay. And then uh, Ruby Amity Arena is this thing that I picked up like a week ago, maybe. And it's basically just a Clash Royale clone that is skinned with uh, characters from the... Uh, I'm, I'm going to call it an anime, even though I think a lot of people are going to yell at me because it's like an American TV show. But Yeah, you're uh, probably going to yell that for that. You're right. It, it's, it's animated-ish. Uh, yeah. yeah just, I never played Clash Royale, and this game got me to try it because of the fact that it's like a Ruby affiliated thing and it's been a lot of fun. I'm kind of addicted. Yeah. You sent me the Ruby game. It it looks neat. I've only dabbled, um, but I've poked around with that a bit. A lot of just standard video games. I certainly play. I still play league of legends every now and then plenty of things on my switch that I am playing random PS4 games. I played a bunch of the Tetris effect when that came out. I thought it was really cool. I was playing Diablo three on switch pretty obsessively for i mean basically in like three days i grinded myself to towards the top of the leaderboards and then gave it up on the spot um but i (laughs) I went really aggressive into diablo 3 for a little bit dude i got my switch back we can play now oh that might bring me back in it would be fun to to do a little duo grinding in diablo but but yeah i'm always open to new gaming experiences i i'm I'm the type of person who wants to play like generally two to three hours of a game and then move on to the next game. I just like experiencing a ton of games. Unfortunately, that's painful for my wallet, but I I, I love knowing what's out there. I love seeing these different approaches to game making and uh, yeah, just, just dabbling in a little bit of everything rather than being uh, a master of any one game. Uh, maybe with the exception of, I don't even know if I would classify myself as a magic master, but certainly most devoted to magic. It's the only game that has captured my attention repeatedly over an extended period of time with everything else. It's more just a flirtation or, you know, a brief, a brief dalliance. And then I move on to something else. Dude, buying all those games is a work expense. You can write that off. It's fun. Uh, yeah, we just talked about it on this podcast and this is definitely what I do for a living. So get paid. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I just got my switch back. I loaned it to some friends when I was very busy and despite my best efforts, I could not convince them to play breath of the wild, but I got my Switch back, and they had just purchased their own, so uh, hopefully they'll be able to start playing soon, and yeah, I had a lot of games that I wanted to catch up on, so still, I'm making some progress. I'm, I'm playing some uh, Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. That game's pretty mm-hmm. sweet. Yeah, I have I have Let's Go Pikachu, and I've also enjoyed it. Nice mistake, trip down man. memory lane. Mistake. No, 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 no. Don't be an Eevee hipster. Pikachu is the OG Pokemon and anyone who, if you're taking a nostalgic trip, don't you want to do it with Pikachu? Seriously. Nah. Okay. Teach their own, I guess. Nah, Eevee's tight. And I didn't even know this, but Eevee in the game is just straight busted. 
Yeah, you were telling me it just like cycles through all the types, right? Yeah, you just you teach it four different moves and like all the moves are sick. That might have influenced my opinion. Probably not. It's not like I'm seriously grinding my Pokemon approach and I just want to hear a lot of Pikas as I play the game. So uh, okay. box checked. Yeah, I don't I don't really want to hear that. So Grinch. Yep. Uh, and then I was playing a lot of Pokemon Go, but then the way that they've been releasing their stuff for Gen 4 has kind of made me just get off it. I haven't really played in like three weeks. Oh, wow. You, you've been always a hardcore Pokemon Go grinder. You always have your... I don't know what the accessory is called. What's what's the little Poke Watch called? Like the, the, the Pogo Plus. Yeah, you always have that with you every time we go out to lunch or, or do anything, really. Well, I'm surprised that you've so, backed away a little bit. So we went to lunch today, and I had it with me, and that was like the first time playing in a very long time. And that's because... Uh, like I was out of the house and I was driving around and stuff and sure. I don't know. I just made sure to have it with me cause it's, it's free to just have it going, you know? Right. Right. And then it, it makes, it makes me feel happy that I'm able to like multitask and have stuff going on in the background. But it's like, I have not actually gone out and tried to do raids or do a session in so long. Okay. They're, they're blowing it, man. That's all right though. I'm fine. It's more, more time left over to do other sweet things. Yeah, it's, it's hard to get upset about something not being as sweet. I mean, that's kind of how I felt about Artifact. And when I was just like, when I ultimately came to the conclusion, like, okay, I don't think I'm really going to go hard on this. I wasn't upset. It was just like, okay, move on to the next thing. There's so many pieces of media competing for my attention. I mean, not even talking about non-gaming options. Uh, you know, if I want to watch a TV show or something like that, which I honestly do pretty rarely just because I mostly game all the time. But occasionally I do, and it's just so many things competing for my time at this point. Yep, same. Uh, I was I was just watching Luther in the background uh, last few days. You seen that show? No, is that the one with uh, Idris Elba? Yeah. Okay. No, I've never I'm, seen it. I don't even know what it's about. Uh, so he's he's a, a cop, a British cop who uh, kind of like toes the line. You know, he's he's like okay. a good dude, but he cuts corners a little bit and. You know, he's just kind of a badass, but he's not he's not like, you know, Vic Mackey from Shield or anything like that. Okay, good Shield reference. Yeah, I, man. I think that's a, a a pivotal show in the evolution of American television. I always make that argument and people kind of look at me silly. No, that's it, legit. But. I I I find it difficult to believe that anyone could watch the first episode of Shield and not be hooked even though the show just kind of like got very nonsensical and everything. Right, and I have a feeling it probably has not aged very well, but I think at Likely. its time, it was probably so far ahead of everything else on television. Uh, it, it really did a lot to push just general drama on television forward. Yeah, uh, so I don't know. British TV is weird to me. I haven't watched a ton. Like Sherlock is something that I definitely like and can honestly say that I like. And then I watched Luther and it's just like even like season one was probably the best season. And at the end of it, I'm like, I'm, I still don't know if I like this show. So who knows? Okay. It was fine. Though. It's, 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 it's worth a watch, especially if it's just on in the background, you know? Well, I will certainly add it to the list of things that I will never, ever get to word. That's, that's good. That's great. That's game. That's game. 